Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here. Hope everyone had a nice all-star break. Hope you were able to take some time off. If getting your mind off of baseball for a little while is good for you, then I hope you enjoyed that relaxing time away. I know that I did. If not not having any baseball is a cause for anxiety and takes away the thing that you like doing the most, then I'm sorry for the days when there was none, and I'm excited that it is back for you. Um, I, I want to get into talking about the ball game last night and, and actually talk about a few bigger picture things here. And then I'm really going to do the second half preview looking forward when they wrap up this series with the Brewers. So we can take, a, I think, a fair stock of where they are, uh, what's going to be going on as we head into the trade deadline, sort of what the big stories and, and what there is to watch really in these final couple of months, right? But since we had some time off, I figured the best thing to do is just kind of dive right back into uh, the analysis of of Rockies baseball. At the very end, I'll, I'll give you a couple of thoughts that I had on All Star festivities, but slight spoilers and preview for that. I've I've soured on those things a bit over the years, and and so I want to talk a little bit about why that is and what I think baseball can do to make those things better. But I don't really have a, a full breakdown of the All Star game and the home run derby and all of that stuff for you this year. Uh, I just don't, and and I'll explain why that is at the end. But let's get back into uh, Rockies baseball, right? That's what we're all here to do. Talk about Colorado Rockies baseball. And boy, last night was an extraordinarily frustrating baseball game to watch, and I'm sure for them to play. You know, there's a lot of contextual ways in which they played well. There, This was a good game on its face, and there were a number of things that were unlucky that didn't go their way, some bad calls, some terrible home plate umpiring, just some absolutely atrocious stuff from Laz Diaz behind the plate. And he's been bad for a very, very long time, and there's data on this. He's been one of the worst ball strike callers in Major League Baseball. Just enough people have decided they don't care, and enough of those people also happen to work in the commissioner's office that... I shouldn't say that entirely because we are seeing a movement now toward the electronic strike zone, which is coming and it's pretty much inevitable at this point. So it's finally happened. It's just that they dragged their feet on it for over a decade. And so rather than having technology that's available and ready to go right now that we should have implemented five years ago, you know, we're still working out the kinks and all of that. But the long and short of it is, you know, Laz Diaz was absolutely terrible last night and most of the bad calls yes did happen to go against the Rockies and you know when they put out those ump score cards and and you see all these like an 84% and it's plus 0.2 theoretical runs in favor of the Brewers and I I see people mess this up all the time and go like well that isn't even really that much right it the it was a one run game and it's not like the umpire gave them an entire run so therefore it was still really the two teams that decided the outcome. It wasn't really about the umpire. That is faulty logic. That is not the way those runs work. That's like saying if a guy didn't put up a war, a you know one war, because he hit a walk-off home run, that, well, he didn't win the game because he didn't put up plus one war. That's, that's not what that's worth, right? These are worth theoretical runs. In actual runs... Laz Diaz cost the Rockies last night. There's absolutely no way around it. So here you go. You've got this game where your starter, and I'm going to get into him in just a minute, 
is making his first start in a while, coming off the injured list and a long layoff because of the All-Star break. You've got the other team as a divisional leader right now in the Milwaukee Brewers. You've got bad umpiring going on behind you. And you still have a two-run lead with two outs and two strikes. So you're a strike away from a two-run victory in extras in this game. Despite the fact that they hit one for 18 with runners in scoring position. Now, I know that kind of thing. Whenever that happens, people get really, really frustrated because it's really, really frustrating. I should point out that the Brewers went three for 17 with runners in scoring position. It was going on both ways. Part of that is rallies are tough around baseball. It's one of the big reasons why so many teams have gone to the three true outcomes style of baseball, right? Hit a home run, strike out, or take your walk is that it's just not that common to see three or four or five singles strung together in a row. And that's what you need to do. It used to be a lot more common. That used to be the way that you played baseball. But with the shifts and all the analytics, uh, moving defenders around before play happens, with a change in style, all the things that have been talked about ad nauseum in, in baseball really over the last four or five years. But it's essentially led to a situation where everybody's bad at hitting with runners in scoring position, right? Even the concept of runners in scoring position is kind of an outdated one, right? Because most guys at the plate are trying to go yard, which means anybody on base is in scoring position. The guy at the plate is in scoring position most of the time for the teams that are trying to operate that way. Still, you know... Yes, it, it, it's very, very frustrating when you have those rallies where you do have some guys string a couple of hits together and you still just, you can't get that key one. And yes, the Rockies almost certainly win the game if they can do that. Yes, I double-checked and they remain in the middle of the pack in terms of ball clubs hitting with runners in scoring positions. So despite, you know, nights like that where you leave, you know, a small village on base and uh, again, the Brewers did as well. In fact, the Brewers actually had more left on base than the Rockies did. Some of that's good pitching. Some of that's bad luck. Some of that's the way the game is played today. But it was... You, you see both how close the Rockies are to being able to hang right with these teams. that, are, Like I said, divisional leader and all of that stuff. And, and then that separation where they just can't quite get the final piece of the puzzle. Whether it was the key hit throughout the, you know, regulation, if you will, throughout the first nine innings. And, or, the slightly hanging breaking ball from Bob Stevenson to Hunter Renfro to end the game. Like I said earlier, you're up two. It's 2-2 count. You can bury one a little bit because you've got a pitch to play with. I didn't think it was a terrible pitch. But it wasn't a great one. It hung there a little longer than he wanted it to. And it's one game of 162, and I'm not going to overanalyze and interpret the one pitch, but it's been that kind of season, hasn't it, for the Rockies, where the swing moment doesn't just go against them. It goes dramatically against him. He doesn't just hit a double into the gap, and now again, they'll need another hit. Like we're talking about the rally that you need to build. Multiple hits to try to win the game. They just 
got the big one at the exact right moment, at the last possible second, a game-tying two-run home run. And, you know, it, it, it's wild because they were the Rockies were right there with a the chance to win in extras on the road against the divisional leader with some pretty solid execution by managing to get two in the top of the 10th. And then the poor execution right back. So let me, so, so anyway, that, that that's it with the game. You know, again, when you, when I watch them play, I like this particularly, I go, yeah, they, they absolutely could win the next couple of games. They could split this series. They could take three or four here. They could also get swept it like this each time, right? That's kind of been the, the story of this team on any given day. They can beat anybody. They can take a series from the Dodgers. You know, they could probably take a series from the Yankees given the right circumstances, right? But when they get stuck in the, in the mire, they can lose to anybody as well. And we've seen that dropping series to Kansas City, Washington, Pittsburgh. So I remain in the camp that I think this team will end up right around 500. I think they've been playing better baseball for about a month now. And I was really curious to see how they came out of the all-star break. And it's part of why I'm going to do my bigger second half preview once they have wrapped up this series with Milwaukee, because I think how they are playing right now is going to determine a lot. And while they lost the baseball game last night, you know, they came out against Corbin Burns, an all-star pitcher who they've struggled against in this ballpark. They've knocked Burns around a little bit at Coors Field a couple of times, but they've really struggled against these star level pitchers on the road, right? Which of course, forever the Rockies have struggled just on the road in general. And the better the pitcher, you would think the worse that's going to get, right? And that tends to to bear out. And I saw really good at bats, taking pitches, working counts, Charlie Blackman coming up with a big home run early to give the team a boost, getting ultimately, uh, you know, to the five runs in the game. You score five on the road and your starter gives you a quality start, or a quality start adjacent, those are the games this team really does have to win. And they didn't, but that they are regularly now putting themselves in the position to be in these types of games does have me thinking, yeah, it's gonna, the, this final half is going to be very interesting to watch. for Because I think they're going to be a lot more solid of a foundationally <laughs> that's not a, a phrase. They're going to be a much more foundationally solid baseball team. But I don't know that that's going to be able to lead to any kind of, you know, big run. But it still can. You saw it. It was a flip of a coin at the last in a couple of moments last night, and it was basically one of those games where there were four flips of the coin, and the Rockies needed it to come up on heads one of the four times, and it came up tails all four times, and they lost. And that's brutal. Boy, did they manage to stick in there. So let's talk about Antonio Sensatella for just a second, right? Five innings instead of the six, so he doesn't get his quality start. But five innings, seven hits. He's, we all know this is the thing, right? He's hittable. But he also is really good at limiting the damage. It kind of goes back to the dynamic we were just talking about, right? 
guys can get base hits against Antonio Sensatella easier than they can a lot of pitchers in baseball. Like you look at his batting average against in a lot of years, it's it's more elevated than you would think for a guy that has a pretty solid ERA, especially when you account for Coors Field. And you see it again. This is a great microcosm of who Sensatella is as a pitcher. Five innings pitched, seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. That's who he is, essentially. And because of what I was talking about earlier, where it's difficult for anybody to get those rallies going, at some point, if you're not hitting the ball over the wall or into the gap, that hard grounder that goes for a single the other way is going to be a hard grounder that goes right to a fielder for a double play. Or a sinking line drive that would have been a single up the middle for 100 years is now going right to the shortstop who's just standing there. Or to the second baseman who's in shallow right field taking away your sinking low liner, right? Those are the types of hits, the types of contact that hitters can produce against what Sensatella offers. He tends to locate his fastball very well. He tends to keep it low. He's very difficult to homer against even though he, and he doesn't offer free passes. So it's, I, I see people talking about the batting average against all the time. He, he, it, and they're not wrong. Sensatella is a hittable pitcher, but he doesn't allow big, long rallies and he doesn't allow the home run ball and he doesn't allow free passes, free base runners, right? That's the biggest thing. He doesn't walk guys. So, you know, I, I think I said before, we went into the all-star break that I think the biggest thing for this team in the second half is going to be the stabilization of the starting pitching. They're going to get quality starts a lot more often now down the stretch than they did. And then the question will be, what does the rest of the team do to hold that up, right? To, to uh, be a sort of companion to those starts. And now, of course, I say Sensatella doesn't give up home runs. I know he gave up a couple last night, but I'm talking about uh, that's the one thing where his his game last night wasn't a big microcosm of his career. But in general, keeping the lun- runs low, and he wasn't able to provide length. You want to see a little bit more out of that. You go that extra inning, that's more than acceptable, right? Lucas Gilbreth was actually pretty fantastic, and it's been nice to see him recover from a dreadful, dreadful start. That's firmly in the rearview mirror now. He's got his ERA down to just over three. At 309, does the lefty from Colorado. So Lucas Gilbreth has been fantastic. Alex Colome continues to be absolutely excellent, and it's really funny to me that people are focusing so hard on Daniel Bard in the trade talks, and very few people are talking about Colome, who I think is much more likely to get traded and should have quite a bit of value as well you know not for nothing quick aside but I see a lot of people carving out ground they know the Rockies aren't going to walk so that they can criticize them later and it's I see it all the time it happens regularly not just to the Rockies it's just kind of what a lot of people do in terms of sports things now they basically say if this thing doesn't happen then the team has failed when they know that the team isn't going to do that so there's a lot of people I'm seeing articles and tweets and think pieces about how uh, the Rockies better trade CJ Crone and Daniel Bard with most people knowing full well that they're not going to do that that's not how they operate not only that but they view those guys as a part of their future and of course because most of the people writing these things don't believe that the Rockies have any future they're not willing to think about or accept that as a potential argument 
whatsoever. So they just go right back to, well, they should trade Cronenbard and they're not going to trade Cronenbard. And therefore, they've already failed at the trade deadline that it hasn't even happened yet, right? But they've already carved out what a failure will look like, knowing full well that that's basically what's going to happen. Where we should be having the conversation is on guys who might legitimately get traded, like Alex Colomay, who continues to showcase well for himself and add to his value, and hopefully the Rockies can get something uh, pretty quality for him at the de- deadline. And I, I suspect that they will trade him. Actually, he's one of the guys that I think makes the most sense that I haven't heard any comments from the front office or people that I talk to around the organization. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, no, you know, they they think they might be able to sign him long term or they think he's a part of the future or whatever, right? Like, he's been great this year, but he's 36 and he's lost some velo and he's on a one-year deal and he hasn't been a part of the Rockies before and all of those things that we've talked about. Um, and, and then Daniel Bard continues to show why he should have been in the All-Star game uh, and lowers his ERA to 196. And then as I talked about, the Bob Stevenson stuff happens uh, and they end up getting the walk off on a base hit against Jake Bird. But once, once you're pitching with a runner at second and a tie game in the 13th inning, that's not really on you. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's not really on Jake Bird, who's been up and down, but but you know started more up. I'm very curious to see more out of him. Uh, real quickly before I get into my All Star Game thoughts, a three hit day for Charlie Blackman with the big home run, as we talked about earlier. Really nice to see. Uh, you got some uh, activity uh, out, of, out of Chris Bryant again. Uh, you know, you, I'd like to see him come up with one of those big hits. He's one of those guys who uh, the clutch thing has been a question for him throughout his career. Uh, but he did have a base hit and a run scored. Uh, and a two-hit day for Elias Diaz, who was starting to get a little bit hotter. Before the break, he'd just been so bad. You'd love to see him break out, but boy, it's been a disappointing. He's probably been, you know, maybe the most disappointing. If not, he's certainly been in the top five disappointing players on the team so far this season. So that's been frustrating to see. Uh, but beyond that, like I said at the beginning, I thought the Rockies played well, and I think if they continue to play at this level. Level they're going to pull themselves back to 500. Which what does that really mean? Well, that'll that'll be a conversation for us to continue to have down the stretch, right? And as we look at the players and see what the future starts to look like for this club. But for now, we will continue to live in the here and now. Actually, for just a moment, let's live in the the couple of days ago. As I, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to say a few things about the All-Star Game, and the Home Run Derby. I've said several times before that I think the Home Run Derby has taken over as the far more interesting event, which is a little bit strange to me. And I don't know what it is exactly. There are several things. There's some marketing issues. There's the fact that Major League Baseball doesn't do a great job of celebrating their stars on a day-to-day basis. So when you come together for a big special event, and most people are just now learning about Julio Rodriguez, that is a perfect example of the problem that Major League Baseball has. Julio Rodriguez should have been a household name a while ago, but people were just finding out about him at the All-Star game, or the for, you know for the Home Run Derby. There are 
lots of guys now who just don't play in the game. That's become more and more common, and and I get it, and I understand their reasoning for it, and and all of that. But for a lot of people, it dilutes the pool of all stars a bit, and. What has happened is we end up with, like, I, I think there was this tweet from Ken Rosenthal. So there's something like, we got to the point where there were 80 people who were actually named All-Stars. But there are still snubs. Which, again, doesn't mean, oh, well, they're, they're short, therefore there should be 100 people in, in the All-Star game, right? No, the process just doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm not sure it ever did. And we've talked about years in the past, you know, when certain fan bases are, are just more engaged and so they'll vote certain guys in and then coaches have their biases and and all of that as well. But I feel like the game has just gotten further and further away from representing the best of baseball. It had been going downhill since they the one that ended in a tie a long time ago and then having the game decide home field advantage in the World Series was always ridiculous. And, you know, it's it used to be this showcase where you were excited to see your guy. And I think that might be it. Anymore, it's just about celebrating a handful of superstars, the teams that are doing awesome, who were already feeling great about their season. And what I start because I used to think, again, I'm, I'm hyper-focused on the Rockies, and this happened again this year, didn't it, right? You know, somebody said, actually, for the Futures game, when Zach Veen was up, and they never mentioned him. They, they didn't talk about him at all. They were engaged in some conversation about some other player, and Veen went through a whole lot bat and like stole a couple of bases, and the broadcast barely even mentioned him. And I said in my Discord channel, well, I guess that's, perfect preparation and practice for him eventually being a Colorado Rockies all-star one day, isn't it? Because we all know, if you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. You've watched 10-plus all-star games. Each of them includes at least one Rocky, right, which we know is the rule. And when that Rocky comes to the plate, or in a rarer instance, takes the mound, the broadcast doesn't even see it. Mention him. You wouldn't have known C.J. Crone played in that game. And it's supposed to be about that. I was talking to my mother and, and she was telling me about the jersey thing. And, it, you know, at first I was kind of... Sorry, and I know mom's listening. I was I was kind of blowing her off a little bit. You know, it was like, oh, she's upset about this, but I, I, I don't really care that much because I don't really care about the jersey thing, right? The... the but she was making the point that the specialty jerseys that they come out with rip away the ability for you to see, for example, the purple of the Colorado Rockies represented at the All-Star game. And she was right. And I was wrong in not caring at first. Like, there's more to it than just the symbolism of it. It's up and down the board. You will see far more people complaining, and I saw people here in the local market complaining that C.J. Crone was an all-star at all, that every team gets one. What is this, a participation trophy? First of all, 
F that. Frankly, that is so insulting to these guys. There's nobody playing Major League Baseball who's getting a participation trophy. These are the top 1% of the top 1% of people who've ever picked up a baseball glove or a baseball bat or a baseball. And that our society has gotten so cynical that we can dismiss or diminish or talk down on the accomplishments of the top 10% of those guys is ridiculous. Yes, every person who was an all-star, as much as I bemoan and would say Daniel Bard should have been there over Tyler Anderson, Daniel Bard should have been there over half the pitchers who were there. But, and this is important, everyone who was there deserved to be there, did something that earned their ticket to the All-Star game. And those things ought to be celebrated. And I feel like so much of the way the game is covered and broadcast and discussed, it's only about celebrating the handful of people and teams who always get celebrated. And, you know, Julio Rodriguez forced people's hands because he kept hitting like 35 home runs in two and a half minute time span. And it's just remarkable to watch that right no one's ever going to remember that Juan Soto <laughs> actually won the derby everyone it, like it's like the Josh Hamilton one right but I feel like unfortunately you know and, and obviously last year I was lost in all kinds of things it was here at Coors Field I was down there and involved in it so I was high on the hype of all of that for those of you that know I was also really really down during that time and and had a very difficult, I just had a very difficult week. The home run derby last year was a thousand percent my highlight of the entire week. But that beyond, you know, the one I was able to be at in person and, and cover and, you know, stand three feet away from Fernando Tatis Jr. and Aaron Judge and stuff. As they came over to talk to Michael Bourne's kids, maybe I'll retell that story on, on this show sometime. But The All-Star Game is sadly and unfortunately no longer for everybody. Again, it is a microcosm of what baseball has become. If you're a Reds fan, an Orioles fan, or more often than not a Mariners fan, though Mariners fans had a nice weekend maybe, you're a Rockies fan, right now you're a Kansas City Royals fan, like watching a four-hour-long exhibition game where your guy might not even get into the game. He's not going to be wearing your city's colors. And he might not even be acknowledged. The best part of the All-Star game is when they announce the players at the very beginning and seeing who gets cheered and who gets booed. <laughs> That's the best part of the All-Star game anymore. And and you're at the mercy of whether or not the game is any good. And we did get some cool stuff. Like, there's some good defensive plays. The, I do like that there's no halfway to play baseball. So as much as I'm bemoaning that the MLB All-Star game isn't what it used to be or or maybe it never was and, and my nostalgia or little kid glasses have have worn off and it's always been this kind of celebration of just a handful of places instead of everywhere. Just, it, to me, when I was a kid, I always felt like, yeah, 
that's our guy or those are our two guys and they're going to get their moment. And we just don't have that anymore. But all that said, it's still a far more competitive and realistic version of the sport than, say, the NBA All-Star Game or the NFL Pro Bowl or whatever, where guys are going a half speed at most. And it's almost kind of a mockery of uh, of the game itself, right? It's just not a competitive game. Where in baseball, though, you can't do that. I do still love that. Right, so you have guys like Alec Manoa bringing it at 90 miles an hour, uh, Ryan Helsley throwing 103, because you, you don't go out there and slow down your arm, you're going to hurt yourself. And you don't go out there and not take BP, you're going to mess up your swing. You don't go out there and do, you know, right, baseball is so muscle memory and mechanical and Every day. If anything, it's like another practice. It's like a super high-end practice because they don't care about the results. So no one's going to be mad. But you there, you can't not try. You can't half-ass Major League Baseball. Someone's going to get hurt. So I do still love that, you know, you got guys flipping the ball behind their back and like going all out on defense. Like It's the only of the professional sport exhibition all-star games where everyone goes all out on defense. Right, <laughs> like, maybe guys aren't going to sprint into the wall or something. That, that they'll probably not do that in All Star Game. But other than that, playing ball. But I don't know. Let me know if I'm just becoming old man screams at the clouds or or, or whatever. If y'all still enjoyed it, I didn't want to rain on people's parade. But I found myself, you know, just not invested in it anymore. I, I think the home run derby is great. Again, I think they could do a better job with presentation and representation of all the different teams and, um, you know, stuff like that. Again, Crone should have been in there. And I'll bemoan forever and ever the fact that Rockies pitchers just get a raw deal when it comes to this event all the time. Daniel Bard's going to end up at the best pit- pitching numbers of any reliever in baseball team of the year. People are like, he wasn't an all-star? Like, nope. But anyway... Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter or in the Discord. Uh, Beyond that, like I said, I'm going to watch these next couple of games, get back to you on uh, a second-half preview for the Rockies, and then we start getting into the trade deadline and all that stuff. So thank you all for listening to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com. You're checking out all the other podcasts on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And you're just overall continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.